When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of the Golf Unfiltered podcast is brought to you by WorldwideGolfShops.com. Be sure to go out to WorldwideGolfShops.com for all of your equipment, apparel, and accessory needs. They've even got training aids. They've got all the great stuff from all the brands that you hear on our podcast every week. So once again, that is WorldwideGolfShops.com. You're listening to the Golf Unfiltered Podcast, your source for in-depth interviews with the biggest names, brands, and personalities in golf. Our mission, to keep you informed and help you enjoy the game even more. And now, the owner and host of the Golf Unfiltered Podcast, Adam Fonseca. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Golf Unfiltered Podcast. I am your host, as always, Adam, from GolfUnfiltered.com. You can follow all of us over at Golf Unfiltered on social media, at Golf Unfiltered. And you can go ahead and send us an email, GolfUnfiltered at gmail.com. Hello to our friends over at TheHackersParadise.com. For those of you listening to this on the THP mobile app, if you didn't know, you can do that. You can also listen to this podcast over at The Hackers Paradise, either on their website or by downloading their app as well as finding them on iTunes. And, of course, hello to our friends over at Cleveland and Srixon Golf. Had the opportunity to go out and try out the uh, the new Cleveland Launcher HB Turbo Driver. You saw the review on the website. You saw the live uh, stream that I did shortly after my round. And you saw how the uh, and you heard all the comments I had about that fantastic golf club. So looking forward to, as the golf... Uh, season for me begins to wind down. I look forward to fine-tuning my swing even more over the uh, winter months. Uh, we've probably got a couple weeks left here. Now, who am I kidding? I play well into December, but uh, definitely it's getting chillier. And so now is the time of the year where many golfers across the United States, at least, take some time to take a step back and really reevaluate their golf game. Now, this has been a very good year for me in terms of my golf game. I've gotten my handicap down to the lowest it's ever been. I'm at a 6.4 right now at the time of this recording. And it's also a great time in the quote-unquote off-season to, you know, as I said, reevaluate your approach to the game. And that really leads to today's uh, guests, and we bring them back for the second time, and they are Gary Nickel and uh, Carl Morris. They are European teaching pros. They are the co-authors of a new book called The Lost Art of Playing Golf. The first time Gary and Carl were on the show, this was a few weeks ago, we were talking about another one of their books, the uh, best-selling The Lost Art of Putting, uh, and you can go and find that on Amazon as well as their new book, The Lost Art of Playing Golf. And in that conversation, Gary and Carl shared a lot about just the mindset that a golfer, especially an amateur golfer, has to have in order to succeed on the putting green. Now, if you followed our, us on social, if you follow me on social, you know that I incorporated many of the teachings from that book into my actual game. And I have to say that I have improved my putting over the last uh, few months. And that is evident by, as I mentioned, the lower handicap that I now have. And so uh, today in uh, this conversation about the new book, we expand on those concepts, the teachings of Gary and Carl, I'll call them, into their new book. And we talk about the golf game as a whole. 
the enjoyment factor of golf. Why did you get involved in the game of golf? Why did you actually start playing? And if we all take a step back and, and think about why we got involved in this great game, I'm sure many of us have stories about either a, a family member, perhaps, you know, your parent or a grandparent getting you in the game, or maybe at least in my case, it was more, um, I had a, another family member, an uncle actually, uh, introduced me to the game and then I got involved out of necessity because I needed a summer job at a golf course. And so those two things kind of overlapped and I my eyes were open to a whole new world, basically, not to be too dramatic there, but uh, my friends from that point, you know, my, my social circles, all of that really just kind of tied together around this game of golf. And now at 37 years old, as I record this podcast today, talking about the game that I love, having a website that we try to partner with brands and, and really get the word out about the game of golf, everything is just uh, this big progression. And so, Gary and Carl talk a little bit about the enjoyment level and the enjoyment factor uh, that we all experience. Anyone who has played this game has experienced at some point in their playing career. So without much further ado, we're going to be right back after a quick word from one of our friends over at the Four Golfers Network. And we will be back with Gary Nickel and Carl Morris, co-authors of The Lost Art of Playing Golf. I know you love the game, even though it drives every single one of us crazy. Hi, this is Bill Hobson, and I host the Four Golfers Network podcast, where we celebrate golf in every way imaginable. You'll hear interviews with the biggest names in the sport, travel features, special contests, and we even take your calls. So after you listen to Adam and Golf Unfiltered, give us a try. Subscribe to the Four Golfers Network podcast. That's F-O-R-E on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. As I mentioned at the top of the show, we are bringing back for the second time Mr. Gary Nickel and Carl Morris. They are European uh, teaching pros. They are co-authors of the new book, The Lost Art of Playing Golf. The first time that they were on the show, they were talking about their uh, other book, the best-selling The Lost Art of Putting. Uh, Gary and Carl, first things first, I have to say thank you for uh, coming on the show before and giving me those putting tips because as uh, listeners heard, I have my handicap down to the lowest it's ever been. And I have to say wow. it's because of the things that you guys taught me on the putting green. So thank you for that. That's brilliant. Well, congratulations. Well done. That's brilliant to hear, Adam. Great work. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I actually, um, my friends were uh, poking fun at me a little bit because they saw me on the putting green with just one golf ball now. <laughs> and they're like, what are you doing? They come in sleeves of three. I'm like, no, nah, I'm telling you, you got to go listen to Gary and Carl. <laughs> so anyway. I think the interesting thing is, Adam, that, uh, you know, we've had, a, we've had some such fantastic feedback from uh, people just, you know, like, like you've just given there and, you know, what we keep hearing over and over again is that the, the strange thing about the lost art of putting and, and the same with the, the lost art of playing golf, we're not, we're not really telling you how to do it. We're just giving you some concepts that you can go away and you, you personalize for yourself. That's been my experience. And, you know, Gary, have you kind of noticed the same thing from people uh, with the early feedback or the late feedback now on the lost art of putting? Yeah, it's the constant feedback, really. It's the, the regular frequent feedback is very much that, that people like the idea or the concepts of the fact that we're not actually telling them what to do. We're not telling them how to stand, how to hold the putter or the club, how to swing it, how to do anything like that. Just give them some concepts and allowing them to do some exploration with them and personalize them, as Carl said. 
And so that leads us into the next book that you've written, and it, it is fantastic. Mm. I've had the chance to, to read through it, is The Lost Art of Playing Golf. And right from the start, when I heard about the new book, the title itself really struck a chord with me because it seemed like, and it implies that perhaps there is an art to playing golf, and, and people are maybe losing touch with that. Uh, you know, Gary, when you and Carl were thinking through this new book, what was the main trigger that said, you know what, we gotta, we have to expand this a little bit. I think the real main inspiration was essentially the fact that we've both seen so many really talented players go down the route of searching for technical perfection, hmm. looking for the perfect swing in the hope that, or the belief that that will turn them into a great player. Now, what we've discovered and what we've experienced over the years is that the guys who tend to go down that technical route and go too deeply down it, they just end up in a mess. They end up tied in knots. They end up thinking way too much about the golf swing and they lose connection with actually playing the game of golf. Mm. Carl, would you agree? Yeah, over and over again, as Gary said there, and I mean, we've seen so many players go, go down that route. And, you know, and then when you trace it back for an awful lot of players who, who do become successful, you, you often hear stories such as, you know, we we didn't have much of a, a, a range at our club, and and as a kid, I used to just play fifty four holes a day in the summer holidays, and just but was on the golf course all the time, and just learning how to how to play shots and create shots and put scores together, uh, and 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 then as as a lot of players progress and they get the opportunity to stand on perfectly manicured driving ranges with wonderfully symmetrical pyramids of golf balls in a perfect perfect location right. and spend countless 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 hours there uh, and and the game seems to go in the in, in the reverse direction and i just think i think there's a momentum hopefully building with all this that there is you know if, if that route has made you a better player if getting very technical if, if obsessing about positions during the swing is making you a better player we make the point in the book you should continue down that route but if the, if it hasn't we just want people to explore there could be a different way. There could be a different way where it's not so much about a coach's opinion of how your golf swing should look. It's a little bit more about you uncovering what the genius of your body could do if it's allied to some great concepts that you have running through your brain. You know, that's interesting, Carl, because one of the themes that's within the book is a phrase that you offer very early on, and that is golf is something that you do. It's not what you are. Uh, is that kind of what you're touching on? Yeah, it's, I think, you know, I certainly fell into that trap, and I'm sure maybe Gary didn't, but, you know, we'll know a lot of oh, people. Oh, I did. People, <laughs> oh, yes, I did. People who <laughs> did that, that, you know, um, when, when, you, when, you become, when you start getting a lot of attention because you become a successful junior and people start patting you on the back, and very quickly, Adam, you, you, if you're not careful, your identity as a human being starts to depend on the direction a golf ball goes. Mm. Uh, and when that's the case, that's a very, very sort of thin tightrope to walk. And, you know, we, 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 we're kind of trying to connect people back to the idea that golf is golf is a part of you as a human being. It doesn't it doesn't define you as a human being. And when you when you connect back a little bit more for the for your reasons to play. And the, the great paradox is when you get connected back to some of those key issues that you're actually creating the most fertile ground for playing the best that you can so it's kind of a reverse engineering way of getting to getting to be the best player that you can possibly be and gary yeah. uh, same, same question to you 
Yeah, absolutely. I think anyone who's played golf to any kind of level will at times fall into the trap of believing that whatever they do in the golf course is a direct reflection of them as a person. And when your game goes off a little bit, you start to doubt your ability to do anything Hmm. because you you gauge everything against your ability to play golf. And it becomes so all-encompassing and all-consuming that it can drive you nuts. It really can as we, anyone who's ever played the game will experience. However, that is part of the challenge, isn't it? And I think we sometimes, you know, we, we always ask the, the players we work with, you know, ask us, you know, we ask them three reasons, you know, why do you play golf? Give me three reasons why you play golf. And they'll say, well, I love being outdoors. I love, I love the social aspects of it. I love the challenge, the physical and the mental challenge of it. And it's just great to be outside and enjoying the beautiful scenery and the serenity of a golf course. But it's amazing how quickly they lose sight of that when they fire it into the, into the trees or out of bounds off the first tee. We've all been there as well, yes? Yes, we have. I have. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we all have. Yeah. I think we all have. So, so it's yeah, interesting. It's really just, the whole book's really just about getting back to the art of playing golf because you can't learn how to get up and down for par in the driving range. Mm. You've got to learn how to do that in the golf course. Where does uh, that rings true with me, uh, Gary? Believe me. Um, where uh, where does gratitude fit in with all of that, Gary? I'll pass that one on to Carl because that was very much his chapter. Like he, that's very much his baby. There, he did all the research or most of the research on that one. And yeah, I'll let Carl take this one over. Okay. I think I think I think for me, I mean, you know, it became more clear for me in the in the in the, in the past couple of years as things that were going on in my my own life that. You know, being good at golf or, or being happy or being successful really is determined by what you put your attention on. You know, and it's so easy in this world now that, you know, there's so much going on that there's sort of troubles in the world. And it's very, very easy to sort of get on the golf course and and, and sort of feel that though it's all about the score for the day and, and not actually pay attention to the, the very fact that the, the wonderful environment that you're in and the, and the things that have been done to prepare that golf course for the day for you to actually have the opportunity to play and mm. you know all the, the more I looked into the the research the literature on gratitude that it's just it's a great it's a great message for our time really that that you know fundamentally we're probably living on the you know in many ways and the best time best opportunity that we've ever had in in, in human history but we're, we're almost all being being corralled into thinking that we, that we should have more and we should achieve more and things like that and and, and the gratitude is at the bottom of the list and yet the, the the irony is that when you're really grateful for the opportunity to play again you're creating the conditions to express yourself in the best possible way and we you know we make the point in the book it, it, it can't be it can't be gratitude with strings gratitude with strings attached in the sense that well i'll pretend to be grateful if i put a good score together <laughs> it's it, it, you know it's not about that is that you know one of the things that we talk a lot about in the book that the holy grail of golf is this idea of consistency or if i can just mm. get the right swing and just get the right technique i'll be consistent or every bit of sort of science in, in terms of motor learning talks about the fact that that is an impossibility that every golf swing that you will ever make in your entire life will have some slight variation in it and that goes from tiger woods down to the, to the rest of us so even if the best players in the world have slight variations in every swing we've got to forget the idea of consistency and and, and the holy grail for us is not consistency is the adaptability mm. is the ability that whatever you've got today 
if you're actually thinking the right way and processing the golf course the right way, you can adapt with what you've got today to actually put, uh, the, you know, put the best score that you can together on that day. It might not look pretty today. It might not feel great today. But actually, there is a way of getting the best out of what you have on this unique day with a bunch of unique shots that you've never had before and you'll never have again. Gary, when you uh, talked a little bit about when you ask uh, students why they got started yeah. in the game, does yeah. does that theme kind of ring true with them? The adaptability theme where, you know, they, they just have to expect to be flexible in their game? I think if they understand that from the outset, then learning to play the game or learning to improve or just getting better at the game full stop becomes a whole lot easier. If, if they understand that from the outset, the consistency, you know, everyone's trying to achieve the unachievable mm-hmm. and they get frustrated by it. Well, no wonder, you know, if you can't, if it's not achievable, then why spend countless endless hours beating balls and beating your head against a brick wall? And you, but ultimately, it's, you know, it's really not going to happen. Has anyone ever mastered the game of golf as yet? There have been guys who've mastered it for, for spells or appear to have mastered it for spells, but then, you know, the golfing gods, as they say, will come back and bite you just when you think you've cracked it. So, yeah, as long as people understand that adaptability and adjustment are far more important and far more achievable than consistency in so much as you're trying to create a consistent golf swing. You know, the golf course does not demand that you create a golf a consistent golf swing. Mm. It demands that you create a variety of different shots to different targets, whether they be fairways, greens, or whatever, in different and variable conditions. Golf's the most variable game or sport I've certainly ever come across, and I've played a few and witnessed a few. So you've got to be prepared for that variability and these inconsistencies in in golf courses, in golf courses, in, in weather conditions, in wind and rain. Well, certainly, mm-hmm. where, where we are in, in the UK, you know, we don't have. 80 degrees in perfectly flat camp conditions all day, every day, maybe once a year. Mm-hmm. So you, you've got to be able to adapt and adjust. It's as simple as that. Yeah, believe me, our weather patterns are very similar in Chicago. We don't <laughs> we get just a few months a year yeah. we can play. Um, sure. The, the theme of consistency is something that you also discuss in the third chapter of the book. And there's a, yeah. a phrase here that golfers often talk about consistency, and yet they think they will find it through constant change. Uh, yeah, that that's an interesting take that that I found uh, to ring true to me as well. Yeah, well, we, we're always trying to again achieve this mythical consistency, and then if I just try this, I'll try that for two holes. That doesn't work. I'll try something else. You try that for two, three holes. That doesn't work. So I've never quite understood how we can achieve consistency through constantly changing things. <laughs> I that, agree. Doesn't make a lot of sense, really, does it? No. But no. that that ties in, Adam, with a with a one of the key we believe fundamental questions that maybe needs to change with the game of golf that most golfers are asking the fundamental question what's wrong with my swing Mm. and if you ask that simple if you ask that seemingly obvious question what's wrong with my swing you will disappear down a whole rabbit hole of opinion based on somebody else's opinion of how you should actually move through space Hmm. But if 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 you if you know if you if you've got a golf swing and you you line up a bunch of coaches, you'll get a bunch of different opinions. But if the question is what's wrong with my shots, then that is very different because you know maybe maybe there's too much curve left to right, right to left, too high, too low. 
and and working on shots as opposed to just swing has has an end point. And, and we firmly sort of propose the idea that on any given day you might not have your, your golf swing in the sense that it might not feel a hundred percent. But on any, any given day, there's probably a bunch of shots that you can play if you are tuned into playing shots and you become much more aware of your own tendencies in terms of shots. That's really interesting because then later on you talk about the tendency and and the shot making ability of someone that everybody knows and that is Tiger Woods and yeah. it almost seems as his uh, well would you say that his win his 15th major uh, at the Masters this year is kind of a personification of what theme you're talking about in the book Carl I'll start with you yeah 100% I think you know when I, I was watching the as we all were watching the Masters in, on the back nine and Padraig Harrington he's a very very bright bright golfer mm-hmm. made the comment that Woods on the back nine was was playing shots that he could rely on and he, you know he would seem to be in a lot of shots off the tee just that just that left to right cut into the middle of the fairway and, and he, he was so tuned into actually playing shots that day that's that that's what actually got the job done uh, and you know and, it, and, it, and it's interesting I know Tiger's looked after his own game for a while now and you know I'm sure he's got an incredible understanding of the golf swing but it looked it looked when he won the Masters that he was just absolutely focused on playing golf shots because, mm-hmm. you know, as Gary often says, when you get to an end of a round, get to the end of a round, they don't ask you how many swings that you've made. They actually how many actually ask you how many shots you've taken. Hmm. And, That's true. You know, we, we, you, know yeah. you, you, you know, you don't get a couple of shots knocked off if your swings look good that day. It's not like, <laughs> it's, it's not like ice skating where you get some marks for how good it looks. Yeah, you don't get any bonus points for artistic impression on the golf course, unfortunately. <laughs> well, speaking of artistic impression, you also go into Shane Lowry a little bit. And Gary, I, I think the the uh, the examples of Tiger and Shane, it was a really interesting yeah. year for majors because we almost had these bookends of these two golfers that almost had to get back to their enjoyment of the game. And in doing so, were able to achieve something completely uh, bigger in magnitude than perhaps they even imagined. Yeah, I think in both instances, certainly at the Masters, it's probably the first time in I don't know how many years that none of the commentators were stripping down and analysing Tiger's swing. Right, that's true. They were all talking. Yeah, they were they were talking about his shots rather than his swing. And Shane Lowry exactly the same. You know, in hindsight, we really shouldn't be surprised that Shane won the Open because he is a fantastic golfing artist. You know, he is all about creating shots. And he did that all week, but especially on the Saturday. On the Saturday, he just blew the field away. Mm-hmm. I, think, I, mean, I think he shot 63, 64. can't remember exactly the number. But he just played fantastic golf, and there were no two shots the same. He just played a variety of shots as and when required. And it mm-hmm. was great to watch. You know, if you were to put the majority of the field shot trackers on a screen against Shane Lowry's, you would know which were Shane's mm-hmm. because they were just very different. You know, when everyone else was trying to bomb it dead straight and through the air off the tee, Shane was hitting little cutty fades and little low draws and all sorts of things just because he was playing the golf course. Mm-hmm. He wasn't playing golf swing, he was playing golf and playing on the golf course. He was creating a variety of shots and you could see he was, how much fun he was having. You know, yeah. what's more enjoyable than visualizing a shot than actually bringing it to life it's quite rewarding it very much so is and you know obviously not to compare the amateur game to that of two major winners but i think you touched on something there gary that 
even I've felt to a degree when I'm playing a good round of golf and I get to that realization of I'm playing a very good round of golf and almost yeah, yeah. The, the, the magnitude of achievement begins to kind of cloud my, my uh, mind a little bit and I stop having fun. <laughs> now it becomes I have to yeah. complete this goal that I got myself into. Uh, do you find that to be pretty common? Yeah, very much so. And that's yeah, probably the most common thing that we hear about people who are they're playing well. You know, they, they get to the thirteenth tee, and they, you know they're playing their best they played all year, and they think, oh, oh, wait a minute, yeah, I'm out of comfort zone here. Oh, now if I just par in from here, or if I only drop two or three shots, or, or yeah, and you start defending the score you have, you forget about how you've been playing to get to that point, right? And really, it's not. You know, people say they oh, I finished really poorly. I had it really, I had it going great for twelve holes, and I finished really poorly. I just lost my swing. No, you didn't lose your swing. You just lost your attention. You lost your focus. You allowed your attention to wander. You know, you st- you're standing on the 13th tee and mentally you're filling in your scorecard mm-hmm. for the next six holes. And you've not even hit your 13th tee shot yet. And you're, you're thinking about what you're going to put on the, the box for the 18th hole on your scorecard. So your attention jumps way into the future. So you become totally disconnected from the task at hand, which is it's the oldest cliche in the book, as Ben Hogan said, that the most important shot is the next one. Mm-hmm. That is true. And Carl, would you say that that struggle to to kind of take it to that that next level, but but while staying within the same mindset that got you to that good point in your round, would you say from the uh, folks that you've taught is also a pretty common uh, challenge? Very, very common. Yeah, Adam. Yeah. And I, and I think we've we've got to have tools to deal with the inevitability of the way the mind works, because, you know, there's all sorts of research about people people will do an awful lot more to hang on to what they've already got rather than risk something that they, they might achieve in the future uh, it's got it's got loss aversion so when you get a good score going after after 12 13 holes that part of your brain that wants to protect what you think you have kind of kicks in whereas that you know in situations like that you know one of the one of the one of the games that we've we've done with a lot of players over the years it seems such a simple thing to do but we we say to them you know in situations like that rather than looking at the golf course being 18 holes two sets of nine why don't you look at the golf course because it's up to you to decide what the golf course is why don't you look at it as six sets of three mm. and then all of a sudden then that just shrinks the goal so that you know you could decide that you six under your handicap after after 13 and panic about hanging on to it or say says, okay right i've got just the next three holes i'm going to play let's see what the golf course is asking me in the next three holes and let's see how well i can do just for the next and that shrinking of the goal that change of attention mm-hmm. just allows you to actually keep progressing rather than as i said the default of the brain is to try and protect what it perceives it owns mm. but the, pro- the problem is with golf you don't own thing until you in, until you get in the clubhouse that's true. That's definitely add up that scorecard and sign it at the end. Yeah, correct. So uh, a question that came in through Twitter, uh, our friend at the Ghost of Hogan. Uh, th- this is kind of similar to what we're talking about here, and he asks mm-hmm. why, when he's playing, even with his friends, playing a money game, perhaps in a tournament, he doesn't play the same way as he would when he's just walking nine holes on a Tuesday evening. Uh, does that kind of ring true with what we're talking about? Yeah, very much. So it's basically. What happens is you place more importance on the shots and the outcome than they than they probably deserve or should have, mm-hmm. just because you're playing for something. So all of a sudden you you lose connection with the again you lose connection with the task at hand, which is creating a shot at a particular moment in time, a unique moment in time, 
and you start thinking about the outcome. Mm-hmm. You start thinking about right, what this putt is for, what this shot is for. You know, if I hold this putt, I'll get back to one up, or if I miss this putt, I'm going to go two down. So you're, again, it's, it's all down to attention, which we talk a lot about in the lost art of putting and in the lost art of playing golf. Because mm-hmm. as Carl will will tell you that golf, well, life in general is basically about what you put your attention on, and golf is very much about where your attention is. And you know, Carl's always said to me, your attention can be one of two places: somewhere useful or somewhere useless. <laughs> and the, the phrase that he introduced me to a few years ago, which I love and I've repeated a thousand times since, is as golfers, we have to become attention detectives. We have to figure out where our attention serves us best. And hopefully there, there are some tools in the books that will help you, the golfer, to find out just where your attention does work best. And that's why we use a lot of questions. That's why we're always asking questions, because questions focus your attention. So when we ask a, a golfer a question, their mind just goes straight to thinking about, okay, how am I going to answer that? How am I going to answer that? And the golf course is always asking you questions. Hmm. And if it's a good golf course, it's hopefully going to be asking you interesting questions. <laughs> That's true. And hopefully we can respond to those with some equally interesting answers. And what you're talking about, exactly. Gary, is uh, you know, towards the end of the book, you talk about the power of imagination. And there's a quote yeah. in here from a researcher. Uh, Pay attention to what you imagine. Manage your imagination mm. and what you permit yourself to imagine. Uh, is yeah. that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah, well, Jack Nicklaus always said he never hit a bad shot in his mind before he played a shot. Hmm. But a lot of guys, you know, we will take them out in the golf course on a, in a, an on-course coaching situation and whatever shot they're faced with, they'll say, okay, what, what is the shot here? Then they'll say, well, it's, it's a three-wood, a seven-iron, six-iron, whatever it may well be at that moment in time. And then we ask them, what does a really good shot look like? And they'll say, well, it's a, lot, it's, you know, a good shot goes right down the middle of the fairway and as long as it doesn't go in the left-hand rough or the right-hand bunkers, I'll be fine. You know, that sentence should be chopped in half. Hmm. You know, a good shot looks like it goes down the middle of the fairway. Full stop. Hmm. So you're no longer you know, thinking I, about the bad things. No, because if I said to you, okay, whatever you do for the rest of today, please don't think about a bright red sports car. <laughs> what, do you, what, what model Ferrari are you thinking about? That's right. <laughs> That's a very good point. It's very similar to... Uh, uh, I, be- I forget which psychologist ran the experiment, but the white bear experiment. Mm. Stop thinking about white bears, and of course you're going to yeah. think about white bears all the whole time. Yeah. Well, like I just did there, yeah. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> Carl, would you say that uh, that is something that, you know, just the power of imagination is something that golfers have to tune into in order to learn more about themselves? Yeah, because we, you know, we think we think that it's all about training our body and standing there and trying to replicate movement, but yet you know when we when we talk about great plays, we talk about great imagination. You know, Seve as you, as as mentioned extensively in the book, Seve Ballesteros. We've talked about Tiger Woods today, Shane Lowry, uh, the power of great imagination, uh, and yet we don't often do anything to train our imagination or. Um, you know, increase our ability to imagine golf shots. Yet, you know, what we keep finding over and over again, you know, it started with the putting. When we, when we can get people, when we can get golfers really engaged in in an image of a of a of a, we call it the three ball highway. You know, with the, with the putting, the idea that you could see three golf balls tracking into the hole. It's amazing when you get people involved in in images like that. 
that with the richness of those images, then the body seems to organise movement to actually get that task done. And, you know, as I say, I don't, I don't think we've looked in enough and, and science can't explain enough just yet that when, when we produce very, very rich images, real clarity of intent, that the that this body that we have that's took billions of years to evolve is pretty good at organizing movement around a clear intention. You know, if you if you go back to when we were roaming around in caves <laughs> and, and, and we came out of the cave and it, every day was about survival and, you know, there was there was lunch moving moving in front of us there, you know, we organized movement to secure that lunch. Now, I, I can't imagine that there were too many spear-throwing coaches when, when, when cavemen were around because <laughs> uh, we probably wouldn't have evolved. That's you know, true. We, probably, we wouldn't have survived, but the, we, we seem to be able to evolve movement based around clear intention. And, and, and again, I'd, that's something I'd, I'd ask people to really look into. You know, we're not, we're not saying don't look at technique. We're not saying don't take lessons. But if, you, if you're just drowning in, in the idea that somebody's got a, a, a perfect move for you or there's a tip that you can, that you can latch onto that will improve your, your game and everything will be fine, well, most people's experience is that that's not the case. But mm. if, we, if we can link this, this idea of rich imagination linked with self-organization, how your body organizes movement as it's been doing for millions of years, then it's an interesting journey to look at. Definitely is. And, and listeners, once again, we are talking to uh, Gary Nickel and Carl Morris. They are the co-authors of a fantastic new book. Everything we've been talking about today is in it. And the name of the book is The Lost Art of Playing Golf. All right, gentlemen, we've reached the point in the conversation, much like we did last time, where I'm going to ask each of you to provide one thing for our listeners, a key takeaway. And because of the topic we're talking about, I'm going to ask each of you to uh, answer this question. What is one thing that golfers can do right away to enjoy the game a little bit more? And Gary, I'm going to start with you. Not to put you on the spot. Thanks for that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I should have known that was coming out of really, shouldn't I? <laughs> I would say one question that every golfer should ask, which is a question that we ask throughout the book, and we actually dedicate a, an entire chapter to it. Does the swing create the shots? Or does the shot create the swing? Hmm. Now, traditionally, historically, we've all been told or led to believe that if we make a good swing, we'll hit a good shot. Now, unfortunately, most of us have hit too many golf balls over the years to understand or realize that that doesn't necessarily work. Hmm. So if you, and when you're thinking entirely about your, your technique or focusing solely on your technique, you become, again, you become disconnected from the shot. You become disconnected from the task. But if you allow the task to create the technique, then all of a sudden, as Carl's just alluded to there, your brain and body will come up with the, the correct movement to allow you to create that shot. Mm. So if you think about it, you know, basically, if you think about it this way, would you use the same swing to hit a low draw as you would to hit a high face? Hmm. They've got to be slightly different. They're not right. massively different, but they are different. So rather than working on your golf swing, which is what most golfers do when they go to the range, they go and work on their swing. They don't go and work on their shots. Hmm. But the golf course demands that you create different shots. So why don't you go and practice them? Why don't you train for what you're about to face on the golf course? Mm -hmm. So if you allow the, the task to create the technique, you might be pleasantly surprised at what your brain and body are capable of. 
Okay, I will keep that in mind as I go to the driving range later today. <laughs> uh, Carl, what about you? What's one thing that golfers can do right away to enjoy the game a little bit more? Yeah, I would I would say get really clear on the on the question why do you play golf um, and take some time to to answer that and don't necessarily uh, go with the first answer that comes out of, out of your out of your mind. Just ask it a couple of two or three times, uh, and then when you've got some clarity on why you play golf, the the theme that uh, it came from a guy called Vin Harris, who I've known for a long time. He, he said, mm. you know, what, what you need to do is, is keep in mind why you play golf when you play golf. Uh, and, and as Gary alluded to earlier, though, you know, I think it, it, it's, it's, it's very easy to lose sight of why we play when we actually get out there. And, you know, it might be worth writing in, in your yardage book or a little notebook or whatever and just remind yourself that, you know, when some of the chaos takes over on the golf course, as it inevitably does, just just tune back into the reasons why you're out there. Uh, as I say, keep keeping in mind why you play, when you play. That's also great insight there. And gentlemen, once again, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, listeners, Gary Nickel, Carl Morris, co-authors of The Lost Art of Playing Golf. Go out to Amazon, pick up a copy. It's a nice digestible read, too. I mean, it's very easy uh, to read. It's not uh, super long or anything like that. It's something to definitely study and to understand a little bit more. And if you haven't already, as we uh, talked about earlier, The Lost Art of Putting, and again, it has helped me. I'm telling you it has. And, and again, guys, thanks again for that because uh, You're welcome. my playing partners aren't very thankful for that, <laughs> but, but I've uh, definitely benefited. So, uh, gentlemen, thanks so much for taking time out on your Saturday for doing this. It's a great pleasure, Adam. Enjoyed it again. Yeah, totally enjoyed it, Adam. Thanks for the opportunity.